Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Kenneth Tanner. Ken is a pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He writes for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. Ken, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, being on Synaxis is my favorite thing. Really? Just about. It's incredibly kind. Yeah. I have a little too much light going on right almost, now. Almost more fun than my wife. You're, you're a seriously disturbed person, if that's true. <laughs> so we have a story to tell. This is, I have this theory that, you know, if you're really doing kingdom work, the enemy attacks. And we tried to record earlier today uh, the technology. Uh, we were being attacked by the minions. Every which way we turned. There were two places the minions were attacking. Helsinki <laughs> and our broadband connection. Something about these lectionary readings this week. There, it's a beautiful set of lectionary readings. But we've you, learned that if you, you know, cannot preach these three texts, I mean, you need to think about doing something else. And we did not count our broadband. We just took a break, went at, back after dinner. We reset things. We didn't. We did not put our hope in chariots <laughs> or broadband. <laughs> so these are really interesting readings, though. I think uh, so good. The first one comes from. The David cycle in Samuel. Mm-hmm. And here we've got this really intriguing reading where from 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 14a, where it's interesting because David is settled in his house and he's got rest from all his enemies, which if you're a real Bible geek, there's a little more battling in 2 Samuel 8. And some critical scholars say, well, actually that probably happened in before, but maybe it's just kind of a weird episodic serial drama kind of thing. But like basically David subdued most of his enemies and he's living ghetto fabulous. And he says, Hey, I'm living in this house of cedar, but why is the ark of God staying in a tent? And Nathan says to the King, you know, David wants to build a house. And he says, Oh, go definitely do it, do it. And then Nathan goes, you know, home and gets an earful from the Lord, which earlier you had a great insight on this. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I think if you've got a spiritual director, and you tell them you're going to, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And they tell you, the Lord is with you. You might want to let them sleep on it. You know? <laughs> if they you give know? you an uncritical, hey, go <laughs> for it. The Lord yeah. loves it. You know, And then he, the spiritual director like gets on the main line, the hotline with God overnight. And God's like, oh, wait a minute. I got I got something else for your for your client for your charge for your. Do you your think mentee. if Joel Osteen had a spiritual director, he's like, I want to open up seven more churches and six more <laughs> clothing lines? Go for it, go for it, go for it. And then overnight, man, the prophet gets the word. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You better not. You better slow down. And it's interesting because in Chronicles, there's this kind of tradition that like. David can't build it because he's a man of war. And and there is this tension mm-hmm. between worship and transcendence and peace. But here it's a little different. It's like here sort it's of a like, very hey. different story, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like, hey, you, I didn't ask for this house. And also, I need to build a house for you to dwell in before mm-hmm. you can do anything for me. Yeah, it's so interesting. He says, I've never asked anyone to build a house for me. I've, 
I've lived, I've tabernacled amongst my people in this nomadic sense in a tent. I've, I've traveled with my people. And the, the first thought that I had was how like the, this is to Jesus um, in his ministry, uh, the homeless carpenter, the one who, who is a builder with his, with, his, uh, with his stepdad, Joseph, and yet he, he has no place. The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. And so here we have God saying, you know, I, I, I don't need a house um, made with hands. I am going to build a house for you, David. Um, and, and so it's not like he's not worthy to build a house. God's saying, I don't need a house, even though they go on to build one, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, Solomon goes on to build one. But, but uh, here he, he makes it very clear, I'm going to build a house for you. And practically, like you're in a picturesque kind of Michigan church. Like I, I, I love the pictures mm, on the church website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like you're, it's interesting because this is a beautiful place. There, there are. This is a tension, right? I mean, I like I remember talking a few years ago about this issue about do you build a building or not with a guy, a wasp Episcopalian, mm-hmm. yeah, who was like, you man needs a home. He wants to make things. And then two years ago, my friend Duo Dickinson, little, little talking heads there who's a world-class architect, I expected, I asked him this question, do you build or not build? He said he would not build, and he's a world-class architect, ran a school gym. So it's an interesting question, right? Because if you're going to preach this text in a declining kind of Christendom, post-Christendom context, Mm -hmm. people just naturally gravitate to buildings, right? Yes, they do. And yet, um, yeah, there's there's a God who's building... Uh, something, of course, we're going to get into that in Ephesians. Uh, but the promise here is that... Spoiler is, alert. Spoiler yeah, alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, if you cannot preach these texts, you, you need to, this week, you need to think about maybe doing something else for a living but um, or for God. But the the uh, you had earlier a... a, a in our extra, 17th recording when yeah. the gremlins were attacking us. <laughs> of peter lightheart who's your favorite we were, by the way we were actually favorite go-to commentator we had a broadband issue we were actually recording in two minute segments oh it was crazy and then scott was gonna have to do this amazing editorial job yeah lightheart said something amazing uh about this text and i lost my bookmark but i think i can find it 187 oh look how yeah almost so lightheart says this what's the name of that book it's called a son to me a son to me so basically, me. like David, I I would guess is the son, like Jesus is the son. Yeah, yeah. And, my heart's so great. Yeah, you know he's he's six, got a commentary on second on first and second Kings too. Brazos Press. It's one of the best. Mm-hmm. It, it might be the best commentary on Kings out there. If you were going to buy one commentary on Kings and one on Samuel, I'd say you know it's a lot of lightheart in your library. He's you know he's also six foot ten. I've I've met him a couple of times when I was. He a has touchdown. ten kids. Yeah, he's um he's a. He's a handsome cat. Great beard. I wouldn't say he's handsome, but he's not bad looking. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have said handsome. Great beard. He's got a great beard. And, and, you know, I mean, he, he can ride himself out of a lead, you know, out, out of a lead. Prison. Oh, no, he's the best. I mean, he is theologically one of the most creative thinkers and non-parochial. Non-parochial. Good man. I don't know how much further we could lift him up. I mean, we, we need to. Well, he's um, already six foot ten. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what he says. Okay. He says, before anyone builds a house for David, before 
before anyone builds a house for David's Lord, the Lord would build a house for David. Mm. David planned a place for the Lord, but the Lord instead promised a place for Israel. In fact, this has always been God's modus operandi. He always builds a house for his people and then calls them to build a house for him. This is what justification by faith is all about. The Lord also emphasizes another reason. Cause, and then he basically explains, like, I, I'm dwelling with you. I didn't say I wanted to stop tabernacling. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that... Um, and this is an eschatological word, right? I mean, all of these things that he's talking about, about being delivered from their enemies and um, never being attacked again and uh, living and resting and, and all of this it isn't what happens. I mean, um, you know, the rest of the story is, is, uh, is kings and sons and unfaithfulness and idol worship and um, exile and, you know, um, so... Uh, an occupation and and so forth, but uh, of course we we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But uh, it's uh, also interesting. Craig Barnes, the current president of Princeton Seminary, great preacher. I heard your, him give a talk. your alma mater. But yeah, well, one of my alma maters. But yeah, he um, he contrasts tabernacle versus temple spirituality, and they're two different kinds. And sometimes you need a temple, sometimes you need a tabernacle, but ultimately. What we're looking to in Ephesians, I think, is a fusion of the two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The work was done with nothing but one nails in your scarborn hands. Oh, show me how. So let's go on to Ephesians. Let's go on to Ephesians. So here we have. This is a crown jewel. Are, are you so going to preach on this? What are you going to do Sunday? I'm gonna I'm gonna start out in Samuel. I'm gonna go to Ephesians, and then I'm going to to look at the gospel. So basically, you're Babe Ruth. You're calling your shot. Oh yeah, you're calling your shot. You're going for deep left field. I, I want to start out obviously with this word that Nathan has for David about God building a house for Himself in the flesh of his son um, in the, he builds a house from David's flesh um, within the womb of the virgin. Um, and he is going to incorporate all peoples into that structure, into that new humanity. Um, and, and, and Paul just, just uh, so beautifully explains it. Here. A little bit of peyote and you could have been the fifth Cappadocian, like the fifth beetle. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, this is an amazing passage, Ephesians, because he's talking to these this community, primarily, I guess, Gentiles, and you're Gentiles by birth, and you know you were the uncircumcision, called that by the right. But he's saying this is all relative. Nothing done to their penises. Yeah, exactly. I had to say that because Michelle's listening. Oh, Michelle's tuned in. We've seen that on. Uh, by the way, normally I don't Facebook Live this, but be, but Tanner and I were, you know, because we had this spiritual battle against technology we decided all of you should join we, we needed the communion of saints yes but it's a really interesting thing because you know eugene there's a lot of talk about discipleship and church growth and all that stuff and eugene peterson says discipleship is about focusing more and more on christ righteousness and less and less on your own mm. and i feel like this is a great example about yes. this when he started the ephesian church he said hey look remember you guys were this place mm-hmm you know, it, it, I feel like aliens so, from the Commonwealth yeah. of Israel, it, it, like strangers to the covenants of promise. Christian ethics should be all about grace and gratitude. If if you want to live the Christian life, 
remember how much grace you needed <laughs> and hope and yes. hope it makes you grateful brought near by the blood of christ yeah for he is our peace in his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that preaches all day long it does you know and this idea of abolishing the law with its commandments and ordinances um and, and earlier we were talking about, you know, like the seventh or eighth version of this that we were trying to record earlier. Uh, we were talking about how love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself or love each other as I've loved you will never be abolished. But all of these rules and barriers and commandments that we'd added have been abolished in the blood of Christ. And all the hostility between all nations has been taken up into his body on the cross. And it's interesting, too, because I feel like in the contemporary American church, you have people that are really into the sort of, uh, maybe you call it the vertical dimension of Christianity, right? That me and God and spiritual and transcendence and are less attuned to the horizontal stuff, like how the gospel, you know, plays out on the ground and you have horizontal people that on the right and the left mm-hmm. any activist cause but there, there's no spirituality there's nothing transcendent it's all just mm-hmm. causes and the, you pointed out in our umpteen attempts to record this about that the cross bridges the personal and the communal and i want to go to chesterton here uh who who right in orthodoxy says as we've taken the circle as a symbol of reason and madness we very well take the cross as a symbol at once of mystery and health. Buddhism is centripetal, but Christianity is centrifugal. It breaks out. For the circle is perfect and infinite in its nature, but it's fixed forever in its size. It can never be larger or smaller. But the cross, though it has at its head a, co- a collision and a contradiction, yeah. can extend its forearms forever without altering its shape. Because it has a paradox in its center, it can grow without changing. The circle returns upon itself and is bound. The cross mm-hmm. opens up its arms to the four winds. It is a signpost for free travelers. He's so good. The, you know, and if the dividing wall has been broken down and perhaps that was what's holding everything up, now the cross, both horizontally and horizontally and vertically, um, holds the whole house together, the structure together. And, 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 and is the firm foundation, um, both north and south, east and west, in which this whole household that God has made out of the flesh of Jesus, that, that now we are no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens uh, with the saints, uh, members of the household of God. So this prophecy that Nathan delivers to David after he's told him to go and build, and then God gives him, hey, wait, wait a minute. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 you're not building a house for me. I'm building a house for you and I'm building it in the flesh of my son. And all this household is now all in the new humanity of Jesus. It's all humanity has been, um, you know, has been sort of brick by brick placed into this dwelling, the foundation being prophets and the apostles. Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. God, it's you, so beautiful. You imagine David like dying, you know, not knowing how his, if his kingdom's going to be. It's a Game of Thrones stuff. You know, not knowing if the kingdom's really going to survive. And then waking up into the resurrection morning and his son, who's his Lord, saying, hey, let me show you how this worked out. <laughs> Here's let me show house. you this. Let me show Here's, you. I'm a carpenter. Let me show you what me and the father have built. Yeah. 
In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Your children are Einstein and Beyonce. built together. <laughs> you, David, your children are Einstein and Beyonce. And who else could do better than that? <laughs> of jesus so good let's go on to the gospel reading which is this is like really okay. interesting can we do our andy rooney moment why does the lecturer break this up yeah so we're in mark yeah. six and we and it's a very how many how many verses it takes out 20 verses here yeah so it goes 6 30 to 34 and 50 mark 6 30 34 and then 53 56 so yeah. basically we we the the apostles gather on Jesus and they're coming back from their victory lap. Right. And also before this, we've seen John the Baptist killed. And then he recommends, you know, come away to a deserted place by yourselves and rest a while, because mm. I feel like he's saying it's not all, it's might end for you like John the Baptist. <laughs> and then, you know, they go out to sea and he sees this crowd and uh, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. He begins to teach. Then we get the whole like, Walking on the water and the storm and the fear and then the feeding of the five thousand. Well, the feeding of five thousand for and all the and then you know then they're in the Gennaroset the Gennaroset land and they get out of the boat. The people recognize him and it's basically the Jesus is busy passages. Like we get Jesus being busy. <laughs> Maybe that's why they did it. Time management. Just well, be- yeah. I mean, Mark. You know, Mark is trying to hurry hurry along, but I mean, it's when when you take when you start editing him. Um, in the lectionary, it really cruises, right? Because every 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 paragraph, every sentence is um, he's just moving so quickly to the cross. But uh, you know, Andrew Arndt, who is the brother of John Arndt um, and that that great music team of David Gunger and uh, John Arndt, the, the, the brilliance, um, he is a pastor in Denver, um, with, uh, Glenn Packiam. And, uh, he today was on Instagram talking about, um, he was talking about Matthew eight and all of the healings that Jesus was doing. And it's interesting that in Matthew eight, um, 17, after Jesus has healed all of these people, um, it says that the, the, that the healing was done to fulfill this, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And I'm, th- I always see that like being used as like on the cross, right? And when he's whipped and all that it was like when he was bearing our sins and diseases. But here, Matthew is clearly seeing the prophecy fulfilled and all of these people being healed. So it was like happening as he healed all these people he was, in some sense, sort of taking on the sickness to him. He was taking it off of them and taking it on to himself. Isn't that interesting? I yeah, mean, I think what's right? brilliant about that is, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think what's interesting is it's it's like that movie Trading Places. I mean, he's mm-hmm. trading. So these people who normally, probably because of ritual law, shied away from crowds. Mm-hmm. Then you get all the people that normally wouldn't crowd together like because they're unclean these crowds want to be healed and jesus who's the most clean is all of a sudden lonely 
Yes. And struggling and stressed. And like, so yes. it's interesting because you have the substitution in the story. Like, he trades places with them. Yes. They get to go back to the community and be integrated. And he feels distant. It's, it's funny, too, on the in the walking on the water passage, which the lecturer admits, it's almost like he's walking past this. He's so lonely and bound up in his own alienated kind of, gosh, I'm stressed. He almost walks past the disciples. <laughs> like, I mean, it's amazing because he's trading places all the time. And, and I think that I think it's just unwise to take substitution out of all of what Jesus is doing. And I think people want to do it because of what, what the terrible things people have done with substitution, where you have part of God off somewhere else, you know, um, you know, pouring out um, wrath on the sun instead of recognizing that we're the ones who murder God and so forth. But man, there's just there the substitution piece is so important, and it, it it doesn't. It's not just about the cross. I mean, it's when he goes down into the waters of baptism, he's he's taking on the sin of the world. It's the, an entire life of substituting his very self as the, the what it means to be God, as a revelation of what it means to be God, and the revelation of what it means to be human from the get go all the way down into hell. It doesn't just stop at the cross. It's all the way down into hell and filling hell with himself. Uh, and then the spirit of God at the command of the father raises him. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because people, people that are saying, well, it's about the teaching of Jesus. Right. I agree. But the teaching of Jesus is if you save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life, you mm-hmm. save it. And so this leaning into the radical vulnerability of the human condition in these sanctified, transcendent, and graced moments. I mean, that is the teaching of Jesus. I mean, it's like it's it's deeper than ethics. Nailed it. It's there, it's, it's the way of real life. It, it, in this bit about how they were all touching, just they touched the fringe of his cloak, right? Which is reminiscent of the woman with the issue of blood, blood. right? Yeah. And and they were just coming up and touching the fringe of his cloak. Getting back to, to, to Gungers, that David and Michael Gungers' father, Ed, um, I was with him in New York a couple of years, and he was talking about this, you know, how people would touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And he talked about how there was something more radical that happened every Sunday in our churches. And that is not the hem of his garment is not placed in the middle of our hands or placed in our palm, but the flesh of God himself. Amen to that placed in our hands and being consumed by us for our healing body soul and and uh yeah it, it, i was just so amazed by him talking about something far more beautiful than the fringe of jesus cloak his very self is being communicated to us in the bread and wine so have you ever seen the movie religious with bill moore <laughs> no, Bill Maher is, is uh, fun to listen to. There's a I've there's never... a guy, a Catholic priest who like he's a he was the head Latinist, so he would be the guy that would check the Latin. Huh. And he has a really funny interview if if you watch them. It's right in the middle. It's amazing, and he's like he's like Jesus wouldn't have wanted this. He would have lived in some suburb of Italy, but by suburb he's like a bunker. And I had a friend who actually knows that priest. His name's Reggie. And he told me one day, Reggie, it was the Vatican Latinist. These nuns came in. We had an audience with the Pope and we touched the Pope. And Reggie said, didn't you have something more significant? He gave you the Eucharist. Didn't you touch the Lord? 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's no. the mystery of it, right? Wherever yeah. we're worshiping, gathered, we're two or more that yeah. gathered, you know, these things, the Lord is present. And so, like, um, Ken, thanks for being on. And, oh, man. And, and may Always a blast. you and everybody that's listening and that's not listening be touched by the Lord. I'm so glad that we finally got this done. Um, Amen to that, bro. Through all of the storms and difficulties. So now we need to, like the apostles, go and rest. Yes. Amen. All right, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Ken for being on the podcast and thank you again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.